Hi, Howard. Good afternoon. Hey, how are you doing today? I am absolutely great. How are you? I'm doing really well. Thank you so much for calling into this. I, I really appreciate it. Not a problem at all. Yeah, so to give you a little bit of background, over the past, um, what, what month are we in? It's March. So since October, I've been, um, you know, I'm born and raised in Dallas. I'm a uh, very passionate Mavs and NBA history fan, and I wanted to create something where I could catch up from Dallas Ma with Dallas Mavericks from the past. So um, I know you had just a brief stint here, but, you know, I always get a huge uh, thrill as a fan of talking to former NBA players. And so I'm excited to, to speak with you. Excellent. Well, I had a short and non-illustrious career in the NBA, and I had a short and non-illustrious time in Dallas, even though they treated me so unbelievably well. <laughs> well, that, that's really good to hear. Typically, one of one of the first questions that I like to ask is, so just growing up as a kid, um, what what got you interested in basketball? Sure, I was a ball boy for the old San Diego Clippers okay. in the inaugural season and the second season. So that's seventy eight, seventy nine, seventy nine, eighty, and when I was ten, eleven, twelve year old, I got to meet and be around some of truly my uh, iconic heroes think of that time as julius irving that's bird and magic's rookie year the second year bill walton who was a san diego boy born and raised was on the clippers it really was a front row seat to some of the most entertaining freewheeling basketball and uh, it culminated in the first year i got to meet julius irving Wow. February, February in San Diego, maybe it was, I don't know, 60 degrees, <laughs> 57 <laughs> degrees that night. And Julius Irving walks in on a full-length mink coat. I'd never seen a full-length mink coat, mink coat, nor had I ever met Julius Irving in person. And mm -hmm. I was awestruck. Um, <laughs> I have not been I, – I typically don't get uh, – you know, whether it's star movie stars or uh, uh, I don't get starstruck very easily. Mm -hmm. I, cer I certainly was that at that time. I was working the um, visitor's locker room. So in that locker room of Bobby Jones and um, Julius Irving, Daryl Dawkins, I, that was entertaining. That was the reality show of all reality shows <laughs> that only a, a handful of people got to ever see. And I consider myself immensely blessed to have been one of the few people to see that. That's really during the, cool. Um, during, well, during, yeah, sorry, go yeah, ahead. During, during, the, during that time, I got his autograph, of course. I got a pair of sneakers. And he said, uh, you know, he took me under his wing like he took. I, I've got to imagine uh, several hundred thousand <laughs> kids saying, you know, <laughs> stay in stay in school, do the right thing, uh, and maybe you can do this one day. And he said that, and it resonated. It just hung. It hung in my heart. It hung and uh, echoed in my ear. And I was audacious enough that night to ask good Lord, 
before. I just want to do it one time. <laughs> I just want to check in a game. I just want to take my sweats off. I want to go into the game. I want to block a shot. I want to have a rebound. I want to score a basket. I want my name to be called over the loudspeaker. And I want my father and mother to be proud of me just for those few, few moments. And that was a humble and um, really sincere prayer. And after that, I was lucky enough to do that. Now, had I known that I should have prayed for a 15-year career and a $200 million <laughs> uh, contract, uh, no-cut contract, uh, it would have been different. But I really am, I think, consider myself the luckiest guy to ever, uh, uh, to ever be on earth. And it is through the folks who uh, I know they, they were not deities then, nor are they deities now, but I certainly had a wide-eyed, uh, it wasn't idol worship, but it was a sincere appreciation for the talent that they had and the work that they put in to get to the height of their, their craft. That's so neat. And speaking of the, um, the San Diego Clippers, one of the, the, I don't know if you remember him, but one of the guests that I had a couple months back was on those teams at that time. His name was Stan Petkovich, and he also played for the Mavs in the early 80s. Sure did. Sure did. Remember, uh, uh, you know, because we'd go to practice with the, with the guys, and we'd not just have a relationship on game night, but we were around all the time mm-hmm. and watching uh, the skill set on display from Stan and, and all those other folks. Lloyd B. Free, World B. Yeah. Free was on that team. Randy, uh, Randy Smith, there were some – there were some great characters and <laughs> one of the, the coolest, um, again, reality shows that I was able, ever able to witness. That's really neat. So growing up in San Diego and um, attending Patrick Henry High School, were there any other NBA players that you played against during your, your high school career? Or did you have like a, like a local rival that was, you know, either turned into like a big time college player or a future NBA player as well? Sure. When we were in uh, high school, junior high school and high school, that's when Michael Cage from San Diego State was in his heyday uh, because that's when players, you know, stayed and played four years. Yeah. So we played against he and um, Eddie Gordon and some of the other players every once in a while. The Clippers had then moved on to Los Angeles but sometimes folks would come down and play in San Diego at the old USD gym. Uh, we had some pretty good runs for a San Di- for a sleepy San Diego town, not all that interested in basketball. <laughs> um, and then some of the uh, so so Jed Bushler and I grew up together and played against oh, each other in cool. San Diego, and a couple other folks, a couple other players that made it um, onto the league and then into. And basketball circles. Luke, the Walton kids were really, really young. They're they're ten years younger than I am. So yeah, they would be they would be in the gym, and we wouldn't even pick we wouldn't even pick Luke for the team. That kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's funny to hear. Um, so what, once your high school career concluded and you um, moved on to Stanford, what was your recruitment process to to Stanford like for you? It was. Um, again, a humbling experience, I'd have to say. 
Mm-hmm. My father, um, who passed away 11 years ago now, Ernie Wright, he was a legendary member of a legendary era of the AFL champion Chargers. So he was in San Diego, the closest thing that you could have to a black mayor. <laughs> My father was basically <laughs> the black mayor yeah. of San Diego and was uh, famous for his uh, professional athletic career. Mm-hmm. He would, became famous for his um you know, corporate career and some of the, the things that he did, he and my brother did in San Diego. And then, of course, he started and founded a charity, Pro Kids Golf Academy and Learning Center, which is what the first T was modeled after. So he is a bigger than life figure. And mm-hmm. he was a, in a big figure in a relatively small pond, which is San Diego, and that everybody knows each other. Mm-hmm. He was a, um, tough disciplinarian. He was purposely kept his uh, love and appreciation just a little bit out of reach so that we would try harder so that we would achieve. And all uh, four of my brothers and sisters, um, with the exception of me, have advanced degrees and really were focused more on academics than we were athletics. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was getting recruited, I was a good, pretty good student. I don't know, three, three, something like that. Pretty good SAT scores. So was, I was a very safe bet for mm-hmm. almost any college program. I had, you know, a couple hundred offers simply because they saw the lineage and um, a direct through line back to my father's DNA of athletic. Um, excellence that he ex- exhibited and then they re- recognized that I was a pretty good kid with pretty good grades that I'd probably make a very good student athlete I was never going to be Shaq I was never going to be Kobe I was never going to take a program from the doldrums to then the final four mm-hmm. but I, I got recruited from everybody from the Ivy Leagues to um, um, Larry Brown at Kansas and oh, KU cool. Um, uh, Danny Manning was a freshman and um, they were building the team around him that ultimately won a championship and for a 16 year old a 17 year old it is because I had two parents that kept me grounded I was able to stay grounded mm-hmm. but I can only imagine what it's like for other kids that don't have the support system the, 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 you know, the typical nuclear family Mm-hmm. to protect them protect them from all of the intoxicating offers that come their way. The long story, Stanford just became a natural fit uh, for a lot of different reasons. I'm a California boy. I am a mom, a boldly and unapologetically a mama's boy. <laughs> and, being, and being able to go to Stanford a, a, an hour flight away, when I was on that campus and around those players and coaches, it drew me, there were magnets there that drew me that were much bigger than just the basketball team's record because the basketball team's record the year before we got there was, was pretty bleak. Well, first of all, I think it's cool that you, you got to go to Stanford and, you know, stay relatively close to home. I felt like that was an important 
factor of it for you. I'm not a huge uh, college basketball fan. I, I would describe myself as a casual college basketball fan at best. Um, what what were some of the most memorable basketball memories for you at, at your time yeah. at Stanford? Sure. The team in the Pac-10 um, conference the year before we got there, it, you know, were, was three and 15. So <laughs> we went there. We had a pretty good recruiting class. Uh, Todd Lichty was a uh, simply unbelievable player, played in the NBA for a couple of years before he got hurt. Um, um, Eric Reveno, who was team captain and a bit of a local boy, made great, you know, grew up right there in uh, Atherton. We had a scrappy, under-talented, but incredibly focused and driven team. So our freshman year, we were mediocre. Sophomore year, we started getting better. And then in our junior and senior seasons, we had, you know, epic double overtime win versus UCLA and some of those Reggie Miller teams. Oh, neat. We had had a takedown of Arizona with that team of Elliott, Steve Kerr, um, Judd was on that team. Mm-hmm. They were ranked number number one. They came in. Uh, somebody just sent it to me in, in, uh, on Twitter. It was actually 30 years ago <laughs> last month. That's oh, how wow. old, <laughs> that old I am. Yeah. So we, so we had what I'd like to say, uh, we changed the trajectory of Stanford basketball. Mm-hmm. And then later, Stanford, because of some of those wins, they were able to recruit. We were able to recruit Adam Keith, who had a, just a fantastic college and professional career. Mm-hmm. Once we got Keith, we were able to get Brevin Knight. After Brevin Knight, you got the Collins twins. In there is, you know, Chris Hernandez, Josh Childress, oh yeah, absolutely, Mark Madsen. Yeah, so Casey teams, Jacobson was another big one, right? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so the teams that came after us took the program to heights that we had not even dared to dream that (laughs) they could go. So it was fun to watch that our, uh, their, the, um, team hadn't been to the NC2A tournament in 47 years or something like that. And then we snuck in the tournament and then the, the recruiting classes behind us just, went nuts and, um, um, you know, performed just unbelievably well. That's really cool. Um, so after your college career ended 1989, um, I know you went undrafted in the 89 draft. Um, were you expecting to get drafted or at that point, were you considering possibly going overseas? What was your NBA draft experience like for you? I was hoping against hope to sneak into the second round. If you remember, there used to be six or eight uh, rounds of uh, folks being drafted, mm-hmm. and then they changed it to only two rounds. And I was like, oh, man, I know I could make – hopefully make the second or the third round. Yeah. But um, had they had, they had the, the equivalent rounds of the draft like they do for – Major League Baseball or NHL, I probably would have got drafted. Mm-hmm. I was disappointed not to get drafted, uh, but then I, um, you know, a few teams came calling immediately thereafter, and that's what started on just kind of 
being a free agent, journeyman, hustle, um, energetic. Hopefully I was a good teammate to the, the teams that I played on, mm-hmm. but I was, I, I was also completely um, self-aware of my talent level versus the talent level that I was playing against. (laughs) So I I tell you, I tell you this is like when you're growing up in junior high school, high school, college, you're almost always a little bit taller, a little bit faster. You can jump a little bit higher. You can shoot a little bit better. You can finish at the rim better than the next guy. All of us reach our athletic mortality at some point in our career. And when I got to the pros, and saw you know some of the teammates I was lucky to ha- enough to have um, Roy Tarpley, Shaq, Dominique, Doc Rivers, Spud Webb. Um, I was in awe, thinking to myself, I barely deserve to be here. I better play as hard as I can and work work out as much as I possibly can. So I was prided myself on always being in the best shape and I would challenge somebody to say I wasn't the hardest worker on the team. I just was not touched on the shoulder. Um, like some of these, you know, some of these gladiators were it's, it's, it's a different, you know, there's levels to this. Mm-hmm. And I loved that. I got a, you know, a couple fantastic memories and a couple fantastic years in the NBA. But at the same time, um, there were next level humans <laughs> that were doing <laughs> that, that were doing the things that I uh, aspire to do, and that that didn't matter at that point. It, you know, I I was already working out four or five hours a day, so it didn't matter. There was no more uh, weight to mm-hmm. lift. There were no more uh, suicides to run. It was okay. I came to the realization is. Um, somewhere in my second or third year, like, thank goodness I went to a decent school because I will be doing this for some period of time. And then I'll be working in corporate America when it's all said and done. Yeah. Um, so yeah, as far as your NBA career, I know you, you played a little bit with Atlanta at the beginning and then Orlando. And since this is a Maverick centered podcast, I wanted to ask you about your, your Maverick experience. So I know you, you had just a couple of 10 day contracts here, but what, what are your, your, just like some of your, your memories from um, the Mavericks as an organization or even the city of Dallas during your time here? I think you're the first player I've talked to in, in my podcasts that uh, played under Richie uh, Adubato. Adubato, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I always mispronounce that for some reason. <laughs> and um, yeah, so just, I'm just kind of curious what your Mavericks experience was like couple things that I remember. One, the city itself. I had not spent a lot of time in Dallas Mm -hmm. before that time. I was only 22, 23 years old and so welcoming. It was still the Cowboys and it was in the Cowboy heyday uh, for sure, but um, really appreciated the um, energy and the enthusiasm of the fans, given that the Mavericks, we weren't winning a lot in Mm -hmm. those days. What also struck me was at the tail end of those late 80s teams from the Mavericks Mm -hmm. with Rolando Blackman and Derek Harper and and uh, Aguirre and 
could not beat those dreaded Lakers. Yeah. The Lakers were just simply, um, simply better. And the Mavericks would take them to the Western Conference semifinals or finals every year. And it just seemed like the Lakers were the cross um, they had to bear and they couldn't get over that hub. So then coming in this 90, 91 ish season, mm-hmm. there was st- still some residual. Can this team ever punch through? Does it have the skill set? Does it have the talent? Um, I can't, don't remember the record off the top of my head, but it, it was, uh, you know, some lean years for yeah. sure. What, what struck me was the professionalism, Derek Harper, Orlando Blackman, Rodney McRae, Donaldson, um, Brad Davis. Mm-hmm. Those, I understood then what the word professional meant. Not professional because you have the talent to do so. Professional in the way that this is, you know, 30 years ago, guys are eating right. Guys are sleeping right. Guys are taking care of their body. They are uh, trying to perfect their craft. And they are at the highest level. I thought to myself, these are professional athletes in the best sense and the most holistic um, you know, uh, of, of phrases, we talk about how dedicated these guys were. Yeah, because I was, I, I always practiced hard because I only had kind of one speed, and I never knew when or if I was going to get it in the game. So I enjoyed every time um, I was on an NBA court or NBA practice court. Mm-hmm. Um, watching Harper and Blackman and those guys go through their. Um, not just practice routine. Everybody gets to practice at a certain time and then it's over, you know, 90 minutes later during the season. What struck me is how early they got there, um, what they did during the practice, what they mm-hmm. worked on after the practice, the professionalism that they exhibited. Um, that team that team deserved to, to, to break through, I suppose. And this was, you know, again, the lean years before it got – to the you know Mark Cuban bottom and and Jason Kidd yeah. came in so the yeah I understand um, yeah the, those the 90s were not kind to, to Mavericks fans but there were some some bright moments in there um, but yeah and then you know obviously things turned around after that I do think it's cool that even though you know you only had a couple of 10 day contracts here and only saw court time in three games. There's three Mavericks in in the team's history that have their jersey retired, and you got to play with all of them. So <laughs> I, I think that's that really good. cool because uh, Derek Harper's jersey was just retired a couple months ago. That's awesome, and it's so well deserved. So very well deserved. Yeah, that was a that was a cool moment to watch to watch on TV. And then I know. After after your stint in Dallas, you you went overseas for a little bit, but you got to come back and play with Orlando again, and you got to play yeah. with a a rookie Shaquille O'Neal. What what was he like <laughs> at that time? What were your impressions of a rookie Shaq? <laughs> um, it was validation of the hypothesis that I just explained to you, which is yeah. so, some folks were put on this earth to write code. Some folks were put on this earth to build silicon. Some folks were put on this earth to 
um, be brain surgeons. And some folks were put on this earth to play professional basketball and to be generationally gifted, to mm-hmm. be uh, a transcendent talent in a sport of ridiculously athletic uh, folks. So I would still argue to this day that some of the best athletes in the world are these uh, are, are basketball players. Mm-hmm. Um, gift, speed, dexterity, um, you know, uh, all, all of the gifts that uh, are, are on display in any 48-minute uh, game. Shaq was all of that mm-hmm. and more, which is he came into the league in Orlando. So that was yeah my second year, third year. His was his rookie year, mm-hmm. and we have before basketball even starts, we have a team. You know, one mile run just to kind of introduce everybody to each other. The team really hasn't even met but we're starting our pre-season warm-up. And I was talking to Nick Anderson, and again, Nick Anderson, Dennis Scott, uh, Jeff Turner, Greg Kite. Um, there's some names from the past that were all great, great guys. And Steve uh, Kerr was on that team too, right? Steve, Steve Kerr, uh, you are you, – I'm going to start calling you Google. You have a very powerful – search engine so any any given night and i hope i hope this gets to to steve because i i tease him every time i i see him any given night in those orlando years or that orlando year yeah either i was the 12th man on the team or kerr was the 12th man on the team i don't know which it just depended on kind of some of the matchups yeah um and steve again after practice before practice, during practice, was working on um, basically fulfilling his destiny of becoming the player that he became. Mm-hmm. And he will he willed himself, even though he didn't have the success that he would have liked at Orlando. He willed his himself into being this iconic spot up shooter. It was that next season that uh, the Bulls. I don't know if they signed him or they gave him a tryout, and then the rest is history. So it's it's really cool to see um, Kerr uh, nowadays. We used to be neighbors in San Diego until I sold that house, but um, um, there were some there were a lot of games that he and I sat at the end of the bench and watched a whole bunch of, of, of cool games. <laughs> but um, to, to, back to back to Shaq, it it, it was. I think it was Nick said something like, Hey, wouldn't it be funny if this kid went out here and ran like a, uh, the first, you know, ran like a, a five minute mile and we were all laughing. So you got to remember, it's not Shaq that you see today. Yeah. It's Shaq from 30, 30 years ago, who was seven one. I want to say 270, 275 pounds, which although that sounds heavy, it is, it was, I, I don't know what he weighs now, but he was a lean. He was oh, lean yeah. and he was long and he was gifted or is was yeah. what will always be. And the veterans knew to run the mile just kind of a, it's a it's compulsory of course, but it's ceremonial 
it's, it's, you're being timed, but you're not in competition with anybody. So the veterans knew to basically jog it out and, and, and enjoy your time. Mm-hmm. Shaq took off running. <laughs> the, the first split, which is the first uh, lap, I, I, I'm going to exaggerate and say it was 37 seconds, although that sounds highly uh, <laughs> fictitious yeah. as I say it out loud. Yeah. But it was some ridiculous number. And he was on pace to basically break Roger Bannister's <laughs> <laughs> mile. And then, you know, he slowed up in the, in the, the fourth lap uh, and then still ran. I, I want to say he ran under five minutes for sure. Wow. Um, but he was just, he, he was just goofing around on his, on his fourth lap. So a couple things from Shaq, he came in with, huge expectations from uh, LSU mm-hmm. now into Orlando his stepfather and his the fan, uh, family had really embraced him they knew that he was a once in a generation player and they were not going to let him um, succumb to any of the other it's, it's one thing to embrace the expectation that he had and so that was fun to watch him as the biggest kid ever <laughs> but when the lights came on and he went against Ronnie Cycli and David Robinson and Patrick Ewing and that rookie year, if you remember, he just destroyed every center. Yeah. Except one. He, he destroyed, destroyed every single center and people started uh, getting sick the day before people started uh, their tweaking a hamstring the day before <laughs> um, because they didn't want to deal with, the monster. He would jump. He was so quick off of his feet. Uh, if he didn't get the first rebound, it was the second one. It was the third one, and it was the dunk. And I was on the court for a couple dunks that he had that were um, um, not just the one in New Jersey where he ripped down the the whole yeah. stanchion, but there's other ones that are in the NBA archives somewhere, and you probably will see um, a whole bunch of folks, including me just standing to the side, you know, mouth agape. We're supposed to not be in awe of what each other does, but mm-hmm. it was almost impossible to not do that when it came to Shaq because of the grace and the speed and then the thunderous, um, you know, athleticism that followed it, it was, it was something to see. That's so cool. And yeah, I, I've seen highlights of young Shaq and yeah, he was incredible. So I, that's, that's very cool that you got to have a first, first person, firsthand experience of it. I, I think that's great. So I know once your, your NBA career ended, you spent a lot of time playing overseas. Um, yeah. What, what were some of the, like, just, and you don't have to go into too much detail. I don't want to take too much of your time, but what were some of the, your memorable international experiences, like any particular games or just anything unusual sure. happen during your career there's a there's a couple things and one is related to uh, roy tarpley so i'll come back to that one. Oh, cool um um after let's see i think it was maybe right after the uh the stint with uh, dallas mm-hmm. um get signed for a two-year contract in spain i'm a california kid grew up in san diego so spoke spanish just kind of naturally and at that time, what I was making as a journeyman kind of scrub in the NBA, 
I could actually make more uh, in in um, in Spain. Mm-hmm. So I took two duffel bags and went overseas, and then played in Barcelona and played in in, in Madrid, and had some just really really fun times. Just think about um, me, no responsibility, <laughs> virtually no bills, mm-hmm. and you are discovering um, a different country in a very, very personal way. It's not like it is today where, you know, you have the internet and you have um, all the luxuries and the things that can keep you proximate to the United States. Think of you're fully immersed um, in whatever culture you were living in. So I spent some time in Italy, spent five years in Spain, spent one year in France and I don't know, I I gained both a love for Europe and a deeper appreciation for the United States at the same time, if those two two thoughts can be held in your head at the same time. Mm -hmm. When it it was all said and done, I decided to, you know, come back and let's put my Stanford degree to work. And I I, I ended up starting um, at Qualcomm in San Diego um, uh, by happenstance, and again, back to my theory of the luckiest guy ever. But specifically to Roy Tarpley, so that 90, 91 year, it was, I think, was the last year before the NBA put him on a, um, I think he was on a timeout and then he was banned. But just watching him play, being on the court with him on some of the practices, now it might not sound so unique now because everybody is six eleven, seven foot look at kevin durant look at uh Giannis, look at dirk look at mm-hmm. these folks that can shoot um from distance and handle the ball and back somebody down you i think will appreciate and your mavericks fans will appreciate is Tarpley broke every single mole as a basketball player coming out of michigan when he came out and um you know, my, my heart weeps that uh, um, that we were denied a chance to see him at his best and at his sober best because he would have been first ballot Hall of Famer. Wow. So just the way the ball, the ball was like on a string from the rebounds to the passes to um, how he shot it. He was so gifted. He was, again, 6'11 and strong and had a mean streak and but had touch like uh like a surgeon in so many ways long story short is that then when he got banned he played for some of the really the most um incredible teams um and the wealthiest teams in europe so i believe he was playing for olympiacos in greece and you got to remember, this is back when Greece, this is the, before the EU, they had, you know, on the books money, off the books money. If they wanted a player, they there were lots of ways to come up with a you know, million dollar salary, which sounds like probably a little bit now, but it was quite a bit then. Mm-hmm. His team, Olympiacos, was playing against, I want to say Real Madrid or FC Barcelona, or it could have been another... Uh, you know, international friendly, the equivalent of in soccer, like UEFA Cup, when Paris Saint-Germain plays um, uh, FC Barcelona, it's a, you know, 
national, inter, kind of international friendly. We have the same thing for basketball, which is um, UEFA, UEFA Cup. The game was at their home site in Olympiacos, and Tarpley had, I don't know, 33 and 17, and they, and they won and the whole thing. And that's not all that exciting a story. Mm-hmm. The funny story to me was there was always randomized drug tests of random players during these, these cup games. And that night, Tarpley had to give blood and urine um, as part of he was, he was just picked. Like, okay, I am not accusing anybody of anything. I'm just saying that what happened is later they took the blood and the urine to the testing center and they were supposed to test it the next day. The Olympiacos fans came and burned down the testing center. They came down. (laughs) (laughs) They came and vandalized and basically burned down the actual testing center. So now, that is a sad uh, story for folks that really fight the demons of addiction. And I do not make light of that at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, I laugh at the fanaticism of the fans in Europe who are willing to do anything to keep their players uh, on the court. So those, those are <laughs> the two. And then we had some, we had some great games uh, individually. Uh, had some, had some uh, off years too. Um, but I appreciate now that I get to travel so much for work that I'm a citizen of the world. Mm-hmm. And that certainly occurred in my 20s, chasing a basketball all over Europe in the short shorts that we had, um, that we were wearing at the time. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. I'd never heard uh, that that story before. That's uh, fascinating and just very interesting. Um, I know when you and I briefly spoke on the phone earlier this past week, you mentioned something about how you, you're in some sort of business with, with Mark Cuban. Is that correct? That is correct. Uh, so again, back to my theory of the luckiest guy yeah. ever. Um, uh, graduated from 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 Stanford mm-hmm. went on this what I call it a kind of a basketball walkabout where for 11 years I was a professional basketball player and chasing those dreams around the world and then um, in about my ninth or tenth year I said you know what it's time to go do something else either either I was going to be a basketball player for the rest of my life, which means then you go into being a coach or a GM or player personnel. Mm-hmm. And there's something, you know, really, um, really sweet to be said to, you know, stay in the game and the passions you love. But I, I wanted to do something different. I did not want to be a typical, I, I wanted to put my Stanford degree to use. Mm-hmm. So I joined Qualcomm, which is a high-tech Fortune 50 company, uh, and then eventually, three years ago, I joined Intel, which is um, simply the most successful semiconductor company in the history of humankind. And we, Intel, are known for silicon and modems and semiconductors. And we recently started something called 
Intel Sports. I, of all the uniforms that I have ever lucky enough to wear, I am uniquely um, uh, humbled to now wear a uniform with Intel on it. Mm-hmm. And we are digitizing and personalizing sports and entertainment. So I'll send you some of the clips um, uh, to your uh, to your email address or to yeah. your to your phone, so you can get a get a look at what we're trying to do. That'd be really cool, yeah. <laughs> but think about it, and it's right there in in uh, American Airlines Arena. I almost called it Reunion Arena. <laughs> no, that doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> yeah. But it is the volumetric video highlights. So it's uh, we use twenty eight cameras. 5k cameras and we um, triangulate on the X, Y, and Z axis, every voxel in the building. A voxel is a volumetric pixel. From that voxel, you can create infinite camera angles. So we give you the ability. yeah. 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 So we give you the ability to see what Dirk sees at, you know, 90 seconds, two minutes after in terms of the highlight, mm-hmm. the wow moment, almost the matrix like highlight. That's a volumetric uh, highlight is what we're doing with Mr. Cuban. Mr. Cuban was actually an investor in the company that we purchased. So I believe we've made him a five or six X exit, which is he always needs more money, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> And we are in business with Mr. Cuban and Commissioner Silver. So back to my theory of, you know, San Diego boy with all the opportunity in the world, got to live up my athletic um, dreams in the NBA and now get to work with the NBA and the billionaire affluent owners like Mark Cuban mm-hmm. as we digitize sports and entertainment with uh, basically the um, the intelligence from Intel and the weaponry from Intel. Wow, that's really cool. Um, so have you have you been to the American Airlines Center in Dallas? Uh, and yeah, yeah, I, I I've, I've been a couple times. And then we typically see we set up an executive sync with uh, Mark Cuban, and he meets with our CEO and our GM. Oh, twice a year for sure. Yeah. Uh, we are. We are perpetually trying to make make sure that he is um, a featured in his arena, the Dallas Mavericks arena, is a featured place for all the tech that we are, have built and all the tech that we are building. So think of that as a living lab or a showcase center for not just the volumetric piece, but some of the fixed point VR um, uh, streams that we're creating with the NBA. So we okay. have a existing deal with 645 Fifth Avenue and Commissioner Silver. We have express written consent from the NBA. And then we go owner to owner to see who wants to go on the journey with us to create voxels, splice voxels, and then give really an, a different immersive experience to the fan base. That's really cool. Yeah, I've definitely seen... I think some of those 
like almost like 360 angles that they do on some replays sometimes. So I'm, um, I, I think that's, that's really cool. I know it's been a kind of a feature over the last couple of years and I, it's, it's really neat. And it's cool that, uh, uh, that you're involved with it, you know, being, being a former Maverick and all that. I, I think that's awesome. Back to my theory of the luckiest guy ever. <laughs> well, uh, it certainly sounds that way. Um, well, I just I want to say thank you, Howard, for for taking the time to speak with me today. I, I enjoyed hearing your story, and um, thank you for being so responsive and, and willing to talk to me. I um, it, it was a privilege for me to hear hear your story. No, the privilege is all mine, and um, although I don't get to Dallas uh, very often, I hope the Maverick fans. And, you know, just kind of the Dallas sports community uh, understand and truly appreciate how much we appreciated them because um, the Cowboys were always the demigods for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But even in some lean years, so welcoming. I don't think I paid for uh, a meal while I was in Dallas. (laughs) Somebody always had one of the – restaurant owners or one of the other patrons and it, it just it really unique i did not always feel that everywhere else around the world that i was lucky enough to live and travel and certainly not always in nba cities but um when dirk hoisted that trophy and he and cuban and they won it for mr carter and they won it for richie adubato and gar Hurd and and all the players that came before that was a really, really special time, and I have no doubt with an owner like Cuban, with a you know state tax exempt <laughs> exemption <laughs> like like Texas, that these these Mavericks are going to get it right, and they're going to um, you know not just Dirk going first ballot Hall of Fame, but seems like they're on the verge of a dynastic run if they can get just a little bit lucky in the draft and then maybe get a free agent or two to accept to go there and then stay there once he says uh, he's going to go there. How about that? Yeah, that would be nice if someone, if they follow <laughs> through on it. Uh, yeah, that was a, that was a big uh, bummer a couple of years ago. <laughs> um well, uh, like I said, thank thank you so much for for calling into this. And once I have it posted online, I'll, I'll send you the link. And yeah, if you wouldn't mind, if you could send me some of those example videos, like you were talking about, I, I would I'd very much enjoy to see that. I will do that right now. Thank you so much for the time. Really appreciate it. All right, thanks, Howard. Have, have a great weekend. Thank you. Okay, bye. Bye. Forgotten Marathon. <laughs>